the episode you are about to hear was created prior to our rebranding to Foul Play. If you have any information on any of our cases, you can visit us at itsfoulplay.com. Dr. Lee Richmond is a professor of education at Loyola University, Maryland, in the area of school counseling. She is a licensed psychologist in the state of Maryland and is well known for her knowledge in counseling. Dr. Richmond is also uniquely qualified to tell us about her friendship with a previous postmaster student of hers at Loyola, someone we know as Father Joseph Maskell. Everybody, today's guest is really special. I just told her she's one of my favorite people that I've never met, and her name is Dr. Lee Richmond. She is a licensed psychologist in Maryland who is presently, I believe, a professor of education in the area of counseling at Loyola College in Baltimore. But you all will remember Dr. Richmond in the Keepers as one of Joseph Maskell's former teachers. So welcome, Lee. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I have to correct uh, two things you said, though. Loyola's name is now Loyola University, Maryland, and I no longer teach there. I'm a professor emerita. Ah, are you retired? I have a... No, not really. I have... um a small business that does continuing education for counselors. We give workshops and uh, offer CEUs through um, uh, that are acceptable for graduate counselors who are in the schools or in mental health programs. Right, right. Well, thank you for the clarification. While we're on that, can you please tell us a little bit about your career and um, where you started and how you got to where you are now? Uh, I got to where I was, where I am now, uh, by spending a long time being a professor. Uh, first at Hopkins and later at Loyola. There were 45 years of my life spent doing that. I don't know what else to say. I really don't. I was uh, before that a, a teacher in schools and uh, and then a counselor in school systems and then uh, a professor at a community college and then went on to the university. Were you an elementary teacher? No. No. Where, where did you start? Um, high school. Okay. And was that in Maryland? Yes, it was. Where, and I, where I taught you... English and history in Baltimore. 
All right. I also before then taught at a Catholic school. Right. So you said you were a professor emeritus. What? What exactly emeritus for a woman? Okay. What does that mean? It means that you have served a long time at the university and done some things that they think are worthwhile enough to bestow the emerita degree on you, the emerita title on you, and uh, you can use the university facilities and so forth for life. That's wonderful. And you've been both at Hopkins and Loyola? Loyola. And Ten years at Hopkins, 30 years at Loyola. Okay. And so uh, when did you stop teaching at Loyola? About a year and a half ago. Okay, how does that feel? Great. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you don't know how you had time to work. Well, I'm I'm pretty busy. I I do two groups. I do counseling, and I uh, work with a partner in this small company called SciCount, where we do continuing education. That's great. And I have a feeling you work with Baltimore County Public Schools, correct? I have. We you work. Do We've worked with Baltimore County. If, if you're talking about Psycon, we've, we've worked with Baltimore County, Baltimore, um, St. Mary's County. Just last week, we were in Philadelphia. So we we offer training all over the place. Oh, that's wonderful. Just a couple of questions about what you were talking about, Lee. What kind of classes did you teach? Counseling. I've trained professional counselors. Before that, I when I was teaching, I, I didn't go into this, but when I was at a community college before I went to Hopkins, I used to teach psychology. Ah, so what what exactly is your degree in? Because I know that people call you Dr. Lee. Counseling psychology. That's very cool. Uh, when when in this career of yours did you actually come to know Joseph Maskell? Uh, when I was teaching at Hopkins, where I was for 10 years, he came as a student. How long ago was a post that? A postmaster student. Um, it was during the, let's see, when did I go to Hopkins? Uh, it was uh, in the 80s. Do you remember anything about him being a student of yours? Yeah, he was a really good student. I said that in the keepers. Uh, John Maskell was very intelligent. And when he came to Loyola, he, he was... Uh, Certainly a grown man had been a priest for a while and had directed the counseling program at Loyola University, where I now teach. I think someone, uh, I think what happened the year he came is that someone who was their permanent director had died and he came as interim director. And a professor at Loyola recommended that he come and talk to me at Hopkins, and that's and I met him there, sort of as a, he was a student, but also uh, as somewhat of a colleague because he had been uh, teaching in a college. Can I just ask for clarification on that? You met him actually at Hopkins. He right. came as a, as a student to Hopkins, but right. he was at the same time teaching. In he had been. He, I was told that he was director of counseling at Loyola the year before that. Okay, and what would that entail? Actually counseling students or teaching? Teaching, teaching students. Okay, okay. How would you, I, I know that you said that he seemed like a very intelligent person. Is there any other way that you would use to describe him when you first started your interactions with him? Yeah, he was friendly and he was very personable and he got along well with everybody else that he was uh, later on in class with. So 
he was a good student and a person that people like. Did people know he was a priest? Yes. Yes, they did. Sure? As a matter of fact, right. I knew it, and, and he would often wear his priestly collar. I believe he was uh, in a church at that time in South Baltimore, if I'm not mistaken. Holy Cross, right. I believe. Yes, that's, that's one of the places where he worked. He, I know that you said he was a student of yours at Hopkins. Um, how would you, I guess he was older than a lot of your students, correct? Well, the, yes, he was, but the students were graduate students. And as you may know, graduate students can be of any age. A lot Absolutely. of them were coming back to school. So there were no like 22, 23 year olds in the crowd. Right. And would that be like a like a group of a hundred or like what were your size classes that he was involved in? Oh, they would have been small. They would have been anywhere between twelve and twenty three. Okay. And then did you as as you taught each semester, did you continue with higher I, levels? There weren't higher levels. This was the university teaching post masters courses. So everybody there had masters degrees. Okay. He had a master's degree in psychology from another university. I believe it was South, which mm -hmm. was Calcutta State University at the time. And he had okay. a master's degree in psych. I guess he, there was something other than his brightness to, uh, and the fact that he was a priest to set him aside from anyone else. They were all pretty bright. I'm just trying to think. I don't know how many semesters he was in my class. I know that I met him. I know that he was in class with me at least once, probably with other teachers as well. I don't remember who. I don't remember his transcript. I do remember that he was friendly with a group of students and particularly with a friend of mine. So as you got to know him through teaching, um, I remember that you talked about becoming friends, correct? I got to know him as a friend. He was a friend of a friend. And he was, I believe, in the Holy Cross Church at that time. And there was some program that we wanted to do downtown. He let us use the church uh, in the church hall. And some um, doing all these and these interactions, I got to know him as a friend, yes. When did you first start hearing about the accusations against him? Uh, that was years later. Was that um, around in, in the 90s? I believe so. He was at that time at a church near Elk Ridge, Maryland. I don't remember the name of the church. You would probably know that, but I don't remember the name of the church. That was um, St. Augustine's. St. Augustine's. Okay. I, I believe you. Um, what happened, <laughs> I, lost contact, I lost contact with him. I don't know how many years or how, how long a period of time. I can't tell you exactly how long that was. but. A friend of his was the, the priest of this friend of his who is now dead named Lenora Lynch. He was the priest of her aunt, her aunt in a church in Dundalk. And I believe it right. was he that called me to go to visit him at, uh, you say, St. Augustine. So I did. So I did go visit uh, uh, Father Maskell at that time, Joe Maskell at that time, after not having seen him for a while. For a bit, I, I did not know that he had left Holy Cross Church, that's for sure. Can you kind of walk us through that visit of what you remember? 
what I remember was talking with him, and uh, he said that he was he had been sick, and uh, I I wanted to see. This is the part that's vague in my memory. I I believe that the friend of his that called me wanted to know if he were psychologically well. And so I went as a friend, but also to give an answer to my opinion of his mental state. And he told me that he had been sick. And uh, I did not know at the time of the investigation as a priest or the church or any of this. So I had no idea other than the fact that he had not been well when I went to visit him. Did I say that clearly enough? Sure. Was he... Do you think was he when you got there? Was he physically ill? I mean, was he in bed? Was he, you know? I mean, he said he had been physically ill. Um, he just said he had not been feeling well for a while. So I met him in the place where he was. I don't remember if it was in a room where there was a couch or a bed. I I really don't remember. The only thing I remember clearly about him is that he started talking about some of his friends having been accused of all these things, which I did not know about at the time. And I don't think I said all of this in the keepers, but um, he told me that they had all been accused of of uh, these different things. And uh, it was, I think, because of that that he was sick or whatever. And I asked him what, what was going on. And he showed me papers with some accusations on that. And I said, what I remember saying is, Joe, how could you be a part of this? Uh, do you think it was moral? How could you keep this quiet? Was that was that moral? And this I remember clearly. He said, absolutely. And at the time when he said that, I thought he was possibly very, very ill, possibly with some major psychological disorder. As things came out about the church, I can understand more about why he would say that because I think he was trying to keep people from being disillusioned with the church. Uh, Joe always tried to be a good priest. He tried to be a good person, as far as I was concerned, as far as one could see visibly. Um, I do not know how involved he may or may not have been in what he was in, in the accusations. But he said he, it was really important. It was absolutely moral to keep all this quiet. I think he was protecting the church. I really do. I don't think he was protecting himself. But in his mind, I think he was being protective uh, because the accusations were pretty darn dire. They were dire. They were awful. I can't, I can't, even, I can't even repeat them, really. It yeah. would not be so, very nice. No, that's because okay. Priests, um, were, priests were involved in, of sexual things with girls, with, with young girls. But uh, also... Um, very abnormal kinds of sexual behaviors mixed in with religious behaviors. In other words, it appeared as though what the priests were doing, they were telling the girls that this was in the Holy Spirit, so to speak, and, and it was sick. It was really sick. Where do you think the papers came from? Do you think he wrote them? No, they were typed. They were from the archdiocese. And they had the seal on them. They were typed. Okay. I don't think he wrote them. And so, were they like a report, or I mean, they, what were, do you... they were like a report. Mm -hmm. 
Do you remember if his, his name or anything that he was involved in was written I there? don't. Rem I don't remember that. I may have blocked that. I, I could not swear that his name was in there. Mm -hmm. And this was in 1992, correct? Whenever he was, at, this was whenever he was at St. Augustine's or whatever. Yeah, that was. That was around 92. So, um, interesting. Do you remember how many sheets of paper he had there, and did he hand them to you? I said, what's going on? What's making you sick? And he, he did give them to me, yes. I guess your stomach fell out. Or you're just... Uh, no, my you? stomach didn't fall out. I, I, I just was surprised, uh, very surprised. Right. And said, so how could... I do remember this. I said, how could you not talk about this? I suspect his name was not in it. I suspect he gave me papers of other people because mm -hmm. I said, how, how could you not talk about this? Was that moral? Is this moral? And when he said, yes, it was, I did think he was mentally deranged and, uh, and, and remember telling his friend that. I now am not sure that he wasn't just protecting people, perhaps himself and perhaps others. I, I think he saw himself as a protector, not as a, 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 as a villain. And mm. there's several reasons for that. Um, I knew that he worked for this, I believe it was the state police. I knew that this person that sent him to Loyola, the person who was uh, another professor and, and, and uh, sent him from Loyola to Hopkins, that her daughter worked for the state police. I know that Mother Maskell took that daughter home regularly, drove her home because he wanted to protect her. And I also know there was no uh, sexual anything with her. That visit that you had with him, um, how did that end? What was your what was your position when you saw those those? Um, I, you've those got papers? to you've got to realize that my relationship with him was a friend relationship. So my Initial reaction was shock, and when I saw them, but I did not show the shock. I was surprised. I was shocked, and what I said was, how could you be involved with this? How could you keep it a secret? I asked him those questions, and he said he was doing it for good reasons, and I said, how could you as a, how could you as a priest as a moral? And he said, yes. And I did not debate it with him at that time. I thought he was deranged at that point. And mm -hmm. I, you know, just talked with him a little bit and said goodbye and left. No, I was in no official capacity. Right. Right, right. As as a friend of his, I know that you said that you don't, you don't remember there being, you know, his name on those papers. Do you think he would have came out and told you this is about accusations against me? Or do you think he would have left it more of a generic attack on the church? I don't know. And I can't swear his name was somewhere in the papers because when I saw the initial, when I initially read what was he was accused, or they were accused of, these priests were accused of, it was literally sickening. It was not something I'd like to repeat. Yeah, what you may have seen was the charges being brought if, because of course we know after that, then became the Jane Roe, Jane Doe trial, the case against Maskell. So what you may have just seen may not have had his name on it if they were just the charges that they were, you know, of, of what the women said happened. There so were very priest possible. names on it. 
there were priests' names on this paper that I know. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Did he give you those papers, or did you leave them there? I left them there. They were not my papers. I didn't want them. Sure, but he obviously wanted, obviously trusted you, and wanted you to see them. I think he trusted me. I think Tommy's friend. He might have seen me as somebody who could help him. Also, Lee, was that the was that the last interaction you had with Joe? Yes. I never saw him again after that. And uh, there was a phone conversation between me and the uh, between the person who told me he was there. And and I remember asking uh, him asking. Uh, what did you think? And I said, I, I think he's not in a good mental state. I wasn't sure what it was that was the matter. And I asked what happened after that. And I believe they told me that this person, it wasn't a they, it was a single person, that he was uh, sent to um, a, a place in New England. I, Connecticut sticks in my mind, but it may not have been Connecticut. A place in New England where he could heal. And I never saw him again after that point. I never saw him after I left that room. Correct. And there was an interview. And in, yeah, there was an interview in the Keepers. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the name of the place. I'm sure your listeners will remember it. But the something for life. It was I, a. Yeah, it's a facility for priests with issues. I don't know if you have interviewed his sister or not. Uh, I did meet his sister at one point. Because evidently she, I'm, I'm thinking back, because uh, she evidently was having some problems with a child of hers. I don't know what they were. I don't remember any of this. But I do remember meeting her and speaking with her at one point. This oh, was okay. before all this. This was, right. this was when yep. I was still at Hopkins. And mm-hmm. I'm, trying to, I'm trying to narrow down that date for you. Um, I believe it was in the, I believe that I was at Hopkins from 1976 to 1986, almost Mm -hmm. 10 years, nine years and some months. So it would have been between 76 and 86 that I knew it was a long time ago. we've, We've tried to talk to his sister, and she was not open to having any kind of conversation so we just you know we respect people's privacy and we're not going to force somebody to be uncomfortable lee you told me a couple years ago about a grant that you helped joseph maskell write is that correct no or or an application for him to get into a doctoral program was that it It was uh, he wanted to get into a doctoral program and i had thought he was going to get into a doctoral program. Evidently, he didn't. I saw him in a program called the Certificate of Advanced Studies, which is a postmaster's program. So I don't know about a grant. Uh, he may have written a grant. I don't. If I were any part of that, I don't remember it. Mm-hmm. I do know that he wanted to get a doctorate that I would vouch for. In psychology? In counseling. In counseling. Okay. Now, at Hopkins, there, I, I think I know what you're talking about. At Hopkins, we were going to start a doctoral program in counseling that I would have been in, in, in I would have 
been in charge of that program had we started it. We never did start a doctoral program in counseling. We did start one in emotional disturbance, and I was in charge of that program uh, until I left Hopkins in 86. don't know if he was in that. I don't remember if he ever got into that program or not. I know he never graduated from it. After your meeting with Joseph at St. Augustine's, do you remember finding out that those accusations were about him? No, I did not find that out. I had suspicions that he was probably involved with that. And I think I said this in the Keepers. I don't know if it was in the film or not, but I think when I was interviewed for the Keepers, um, I visited St. Augustine's Church. No, not St. Augustine's, Holy Cross Church in, in southeast Baltimore. Uh, I visited him there at that church several times because, as I told you, he, he did give us a place in South Baltimore to have meetings with public in that area. So I was I was there a couple of times. Um, he came back. At one time when I came, he was not there. But he came back, and I said hello, and I asked him where he'd been, and he said he had been in the cemetery. I said, what were you doing in the cemetery? And he said, there are lots of weeds in the cemetery. They haven't kept the cemetery uh, up to date, and I'm responsible for the cemetery. So I, I was digging there and, and cleaning up the cemetery. That I do remember, and I, I do think I told the people who interviewed me that I had. And I was wondering why, as a priest, he had to do that. But, heck, I thought maybe it was a poor church, something like that. So I, I knew he was digging there. Then at some point he told me that he was also burying some papers. Oh, I, I must have asked him, you know, why are you digging? He said he was burying some papers. I said, what kind of papers? He said psychological tests, but he did it thousand, And he didn't want them to get into anybody's hands. I thought that was rather strange, but he he had gone to Towson as a master's degree student. He did have to test people at that time. So mm -hmm. I thought he was just digging up something that he was burying there. I, but I thought that was strange. Then when I saw the um, in the paper at one time, I, I remember seeing in the paper the um, death of Sister, what's her name? I, see, I didn't go, what is the name of the sister you're in? Sister Kathy. Sister Kathy. Sister Kathy. There were pictures in the paper of her. I never met her. I did not know her. But there was a sneaking suspicion that I, and and I, I must have put it out of my mind, that Joe uh, was, and I'll call him Joe because that's how I knew him, that Joe was involved in, in that. And then I thought, oh, God, I hope not. And that, that's it. So mm -hmm. I, I really don't know, and I did not know about all these scandals with the Catholic Church until they broke out in the news recently. When you saw Sister Kathy's photo, why do you think that you thought, oh, I hope that Joe didn't have anything to do with that? I, I didn't know her, so her photo wouldn't have done anything but the paper. And what seemed suspicious to me was digging in the cemetery and burying psychological papers there, because usually you don't, uh, you hand them into the professor, you don't usually bury them. So that was the first time that I was somewhat suspicious. Mm -hmm. what, what is going on here? Yeah, the fact that he said he was actually digging, 
I'm wondering if there are more things buried in, in small places in that cemetery because he had a, uh, the groundskeeper dig a hole that's the size of a room, 12 by 12 by 10. Yeah. See, I don't know if he he I don't know if he was digging or said I was digging and someone else was digging that I can't right. I can't right I can't verify that I can verify that he told me when I was there that he had come from the cemetery digging was being done I believe he said I was digging but it could have been he was directing somebody that was digging and I I thought it was weird to bury psychological papers from Taos so if to the question you asked, um, did I suspect him in the case of the nun? The only thing that I put together was was cemetery psychological papers. I never knew her. Did not mm -hmm. know anybody. Did not know anybody who knew her. So I must have known people who knew her and did not speak about it because I was good friends with some of the school sisters in Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. I never heard her name mentioned. Right. Dr. Richmond, as a, as a teacher, if you have um, psychological testing, what would be the normal way to dispose of those tests? Uh, they would be disposed of in class. They would be shredded. Okay. So it wouldn't be likely for somebody to keep all that. That's why I said I was suspicious. I didn't, but I did not know Towson's uh, policies. I didn't know if he kept, I didn't know if it was his own test that he gave to people on his internship. And I never asked him, but I was mm -hmm. suspicious of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've, we've been able to identify, we used pictures of the um, hole where this stuff was dug up. And we had a photographer do still shots. And we were able to identify what the tests were. And they are they were tests that were personality tests. Um, they had parents' names on them, giving you know permission. Okay, his, his um, test could have been that, but okay. it would be unusual if that were the case that he would right. have buried them in a cemetery. Right. Okay. And also, he, I mean, I imagine that he was digging a hole, maybe. Ten inches by ten inches, you know. I, I didn't know anything about a sure. big hole. Yeah. Can you put your um your psychologist hat on for a minute? And this is a loaded question, but you can not answer this if you would prefer not to. But in terms of a diagnosis, would you have a diagnosis of his mental facilities? Um. I would say, and I'm going to put this in terms that people would understand, I would say that Joe had more than one personality. And I don't know if they even knew each other or not. I do what know do from mean? the friend, I think there was a good Joe and a not-so-good Joe. And I think the good Joe was a person who really wanted to be holy. I think I told your interviewers this. The person that I knew at Loyola, uh, he had talked to a good bit, the person who sent him from Loyola to Hopkins where I was. And we are now friends, and we have talked a little bit about this, and she had told me that he had told her, he did not tell me this directly, that his mother from the age of four on dressed him as a priest. 
he was supposed to be a very good guy in the family. I, I can tell you another incident that um, where he was helping me, and that is that I, I at the time owned a boat, and I was having some trouble with the boat. And evidently, he knew something about boats, and he was—he went on the boat with me one time and taught me how to do some things. There was never anything sexual between him and me, if, if I'm making any sense. But sure, there was there was there there was this show that was always trying to be good, trying to be helpful. That was his public persona. If indeed he was involved in all these other things, then you seem to have proof of it. If that's so, then that was another whole person than the person I knew. So the only way he could have reconciled these two people is that if he believed he were doing something good for the priest and good for the church. Now, is that normal? Absolutely not. I mean, there are names for it. There are multiple personalities is a name for it. He may have had more—it's not used anymore. It's dissociative disorder. And I may have mentioned that to the guys who talked. He was not schizophrenic. Did he have a personality disorder as well? Very possibly. He might have been narcissistic. But did I see any examples of narcissism when I saw him? No, I saw only the good joke. Do I think he was sick? Yes, I do. I mean, it, it, many of the other people uh, in the church who were defending the church and not uh, not speaking. One of the people that I met uh it's uh, Holy Cross who lived with him was also in, engaged in uh, in some of the uh, uh, accusations that later came out in the newspapers. I suspect that Holy Cross Church was a place that he now I suspect that Holy Cross Church was a place that the Archdiocese sent priests who had some accusations against them. I, I believe the whole church, frankly, everything that happened in the church with regard to that is sick behavior sick and defensive behavior. I also believe, though, that that there was, they were trying to protect people from the scandal that later ensued, and that's why I think Joe thought it was moral, more moral than than perhaps having everybody uh, angry with the church, leaving the church confused, etc. That must have been a strange feeling for you when it dawned on you that there were two personalities or two very different that you were seeing one You've got to side. realize that this was a very small part of my life. So, in other words, he was a student who I knew better than I knew some students, not as well as I knew other students. This was He was a part of my life, a small part of my life. And, and what happened in the church did not affect me directly. So what puzzled me was his answer when he said, yes, this is moral. And I really didn't start thinking about all this till um, uh, Judy, uh, who was uh, uh, Judy Downs, I've forgotten her last name right now. She knew him at, uh, at uh, where's the middle school that they went to, Our Lady of Victory or something. And she asked me, would I speak to you, Gemma? And I said, yes. And I really didn't think a lot about that in between. Mm-hmm. In other words, it wasn't a big part of my life. I know more about it now since your people from the Keepers came than I ever knew because if you were asking me how I knew Joe, until that time that I went to St. Augustine's Church, that's the church in Elkridge, right? 
until yeah, I she, went there. I didn't know anything was wrong. And you had known him for like already what over ten years, right? Yes, but hadn't seen him for a good part of that. You mentioned the keepers, Dr. Richmond. What made you decide to participate in the keepers? Um, one of the, the school sisters of Notre Dame um, was the sister. Her name was Sister Marjorie Downs. She is now dead, but she was a good friend of mine. And she is the sister, or was the sister, of uh, Judy. Um, gosh, I don't know if you ever interviewed Judy. She went to Our Lady of Victory, and she was saying that a lot of the people in, in the school were, were in involved in some pretty nasty things. She said she never was, but the Joe Maskell's name was attached to that, and would I speak to Gemma, and that's how I got involved. And then I think I introduced you to the filmmakers, and was that a hard decision to make, whether or not to be interviewed on camera? No, I've been interviewed on camera a lot of times, so it, you know, <laughs> I didn't know what they were doing, but it, 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 you know, if, if it would have been helpful to somebody, I would have done it. Well, I think it's very helpful. What's been the reaction? I, 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 what's been the reaction to it? To, the, to you being in the film. More people than I ever thought said I saw you in the film. And I never thought anybody would ever see the film. So, you know, that, that was interesting. A lot of some students that I had, uh, if I'd run into them or something, would say I saw you in the Keepers. So I told my friends to watch that kind of thing. but. Uh, uh, there was also, I think, a, a reaction in the uh, Jewish community in Pikesville, where I lived, to that, because uh, some people asked about it in that community, and uh, uh, how did I know them? It's just in passing. Um, sure. I've not heard from people, you know, across the country or something, other than one student who had moved away, I don't think it was. Uh, I moved west somewhere, maybe Ohio or something, who, who wrote to me and said, I saw you in the film. Were you comfortable with the filmmakers and them? Yeah, they, they were, they were, they were nice. Yeah. And they, well, they, they shared information. They, they were, they were kind. They were, they asked, could I answer this? Do I mind answering this? They, they were very uh, nice. I wish them good luck in their enterprise, whatever they did. Well. They're doing wonderfully, so um, they've moved on to their next couple projects. But, um, Lee, we want to know if there's anything else that you would like to share with us or say about this whole experience. Well, I'd like to ask. <laughs> sure. I'd like to ask what's happened since. I mean, are you any further along than you were? I believe we are. Um, first of all, your episode is going to be heard by people around the world. We have over 120,000 people who follow the Keepers page, and the page that this podcast is attached to. I believe we are. Abby and I were. In, uh, we tried very hard to get to talk to the cold case detectives um, probably three years ago, and we're not successful. And a woman, Corporal Robin Teal, uh, took over the case. And when the filmmakers met her and when Sister Kathy's family met her, they both recommended that she contact Abby Schaub and I. Abby is the other uh, PO colleague that 
has been working with me on this. And so the police actually invited us to come to the station in Baltimore County, and we spent an afternoon with them. We had a lot more information than they did. And, of course, the information flows in one direction. It's like it's like your little bit like your occupation because you can't really share confidential information with somebody. But well, I could somebody, share everything I knew about Father Matthew right. because I, did, I knew him as a teacher, not as a psychologist. I never sure. saw him as a, right. as a client or as I couldn't have shared it. Right. And in this situation, the police, because this is still a cold case, there's not much they can share with us. We share everything we hear from them. We have, there have been connections between some of the uh, perpetrators and each other. For example, one woman was able to connect one of the uh, suspects with one of the police officers. So there's been a lot of that. And so the pieces of the puzzle are coming together. Right now, the um, cold case detectives are still working on it. They're being assisted by the FBI. The FBI is still working on Joyce Malecki's case, and they're being assisted by Baltimore County. Who is County. Joyce Malecki? Is she another nun? No, she is a young woman who was found murdered four days after Sister Kathy disappeared. Oh, okay. And okay. she also was a a member of St. Clement's Parish, where Maskell was pastor and knew him. And there are some connections. And so both families have been given more information than anybody is given out. Um, what I can say is that there's been a lot of DNA testing, and that is not conclusive yet. So Maskell's body was actually exhumed last year. I don't know if you were aware of that. No, no, I'm not, not yes, aware of that. Yes, the state, uh, state's attorney gave permission, and I think it was because of the attention from, you know, the investigation that we've been doing, and his body was exhumed, and a full DNA profile was done so that they have all that information. There is evidence from the crime scene. Mr. Kathy's clothes uh, were taken as evidence. So right now, we just have to be patient. But I believe we're very close. I believe I the police are luck. very close. Thank I, you, Lynn. Let me just say one other thing. That um, Did you ever, uh, another priest name uh, came to my mind that was at uh, Our Lady of Victory. No, not Our Lady of Victory. The one downtown. Um, Holy Cross. Holy Cross. That was John Carney, right? Father John Carney. And did anybody ever get to talk to him, or he wouldn't talk, or what? Because um, I gave I, his name. I gave his name to the people who came here because I knew right. he he was there, and that's I think correct. he was on the papers. I think he just yeah. That's correct. He's been um, accused of sexual abuse by a number of people. He also was um, very good friends with Maskell, and so they were at some of the same parishes together. So the police have looked into him. Um, of course, even if somebody is accused, the church takes away their faculties, but they don't go to jail. You know, it doesn't make any, any sense to us that 
if somebody is credibly accused and loses permission to, you know, say the sacraments, that that's the solution to being a pedophile? Well, none of no. that makes sense. So no, right that now, whole, that whole thing is very, very sick. Yeah, it is. So we agree with you. But yes, Carney's name has come up a number of times, and there have been a number of reports about abuse at his hands as well. We've actually yeah. talked to the. There were three uh, priests. I don't remember their names. Corny was one, and I. There's one up on the phone that's just not telling, and I can't remember. I, this is so long ago that I just don't remember, but I do remember seeing the papers. I do remember being very shocked. And right. uh, these were evidently what happened at. Uh, Our Lady of Victory was with middle school kids, not even high school kids. Mm -hmm. And it's just really sick. Right. We have, we have reports of victims as young as seven, eight years old. This is why I think that there might have been um, a dissociative disorder with Joe. Because if there were something that in his behavior would have shown anything other than good guy, I think either I or some of the other students remember all these degrees in counseling would have seen it. And I don't think anybody saw anything unusual in his behavior. That's really fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, Dr. Richmond, I have a question about that for a second. I know that you mentioned that Joe was uh, a very intelligent person. If he was a, if he, and of course I'm 29 years old, I've never met this man, but if he was a very intelligent person and if he was guilty of, of these accusations, do you think it's also plausible that he did a good job of hiding it from so many well-professioned people in psychology? Uh, yes, I do think that's possible. I also think it's possible that he may not have known it's so improbable. Yeah, one of the things that... In other words, that... he could have been guilty and not know it if he really was dissociative. Right. And with 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 that multiple personality disorder, of course, that would also make sense of why he was so depressed uh, or upset when you met him at St. Augustine him reading through the accusations, maybe that, you know, it, maybe he was experiencing that for the first time if he was, uh, if he if he did have uh, multiple personalities. It's all conjecture. If I saw him now, if, if that visit were to take place now, I could answer your question. Right. You've got to realize that when I went in there, I went in there not knowing, you know, poor Joe was in a bad mental state. Why? I didn't know what was going on. Right. And I didn't know much more when I left, except that it was very puzzling to me at the time, not puzzling anymore, that he could have called this moral, because he could have called the actions moral to keep people from knowing him. They were really accused of some pretty vile stuff. Right. And they were, they were young, young kids that were involved in it. Oh, we've talked to many. It was really ritualistic. I think what you're trying to say was ritualistic and almost cult-like. Yeah, it was almost cult. 
what it was is evidently the, the uh, priests were ejaculating on these young kids and making signs of the cross on their chest. Mm -hmm. That is really sick. <laughs> that is, right. that is no, sick it is. You're right. And, and You're right. totally unlike anything that I knew of Joe. It is not unlike anything that I knew of Joe that he would have known of it and covered it up. Now, could he have done it if, if he was truly dissociative? Sure. Could he have done it if he was truly evil and we didn't pick it up? You know, like a, it's almost like a Jekyll and Hyde story with him. Right. Is that what a psychopath is? No. It's a different diagnosis. It, it, it's a person who believes that killing is okay. A psychopath could believe that harming is okay. Usually there's something genetic with a psychopath. There's usually an extra Y gene. Instead of XY, it would be an XYY gene. But um, mm -hmm. these would be people that would shoot people from a tower, and I really doubt that they would have the um, good, good side that uh, Joe had. It, was his answer psychopathic? Yes. His answer was, was he a psychopath? I doubt it. Mm -hmm. More likely multiple personality, yes. Fascinating because some of the some of the women who were abused uh, suffer from dissociative personality disorder. I know you said that term is not used often, but they actually have the diagnosis. No, what is used what is used is multiple personality disorder now. Okay. It used to be, but dissociative right. is what is used as has been used as for about the past twenty years. I see because some right. of them that was how they survived. In the middle of this abuse, they just had to, they just put themselves somewhere else. And that's why so many have like broken line memories, you know, like a dotted line, because they can't, they haven't yet been able to fill in all the pieces. They're working yeah. at it. But it's very difficult. Uh, yeah, you know, that, that makes sense. Yeah. But mm -hmm. where the dissociation is complete, the two personalities don't even know each other. Really? There are states. Of dissociative there, there are various degrees of dissociative personality, and there are some states where the two personalities are unknown to each other. Hmm. And so the person goes back and forth depending on the situation. Depending on the situation, um, I don't know. Please, I, you asked me to guess. I was just making a guess. I'm not giving a diagnosis. Oh, that's okay. Sure. Yeah. But I did test somebody. Who, who was diagnosed as dissociative? I did do some psychological tests. And right in the middle of the testing, the person switched from one personality to another because the question was threatening, and did not know that that was happening. The two people didn't know each other. Doctor Richmond, I'm I am familiar with with that disorder, but I've never considered it for this case. So I'm I I know that you in no professional capacity. Could you diagnose him because, of course, you were just friends with him and you weren't going into any situation trying to diagnose him with that. But it is an interesting uh, thought for us to have. And it, and it would explain how he could be such a good person in your eyes, but then possibly do horrible things without anyone knowing. Because I've, just to think that he was in classes with all of these very intelligent people within psychology. You know, that, that's just a mind-boggling thought to have. 
either that or he was a normal person who was defending his his buddies. If if he were involved in a murder, I would say that that's probably what it was. Does that make sense? If, if yes. he was actually involved in the murder, if he was actually some of these occurrences with the very young kids, I think middle school kids probably occurred in the seventies, and that was kind of a maybe even before that, and that was kind of a weird period in history where people were doing odd things in general. I mean, that was the age of Aquarius. It was a different time. Mm -hmm. am, am I making sense? So mm -hmm. he might have been he might have been protecting his friends. He might have been protecting the church. I believe that the good Joe would have done anything to protect the church. Um, and I believe that that's, uh, that's what he was taught by the church. I know of a guy that was abused who who was told not to go to therapy. Just if you're a good Catholic, you forgive. And if you go to therapy, go to a priest who is a therapist. I mean, the whole thing was sick. So yeah. he might have been normal and a part of that abnormal behavior on the part of the church. He might have been part of a group that was just doing that. If he were engaged in a murder, he is not the Joe that I knew. If he was the other Joe, if he was just part of the church, that part of the church was not seen to the very beautiful daughter of the friend that I had who we drove home from uh, the state police or whatever. Uh, it was not seen by me. It was not seen by any of the other students who, who worked with him at, at Hopkins. I don't think he'll find a person. If, if my friend would have allowed the people to who did the keepers to interview her, and I encouraged her to do that, she would have said that she saw none of this behavior. Mm -hmm. She was his colleague at Loyola. Certainly, if, if I knew of this behavior, he would never have gotten into Hopkins. Sure. After you had this insight, did you like go back in your mind to times that you had been in his company and wondering if if you sensed anything yes. odd? Did yes, you... and I never did. And there was a period of about a year's time when I was in his company a, a, a good good bit. Another thing that I found out, I don't know if it was you or the people who did the keepers, they asked me to go back and see if I could ever find them in Loyola's catalog. The catalogs mm -hmm. where he would have been at Loyola are missing. I could not find them in the library. Nope, I could not find anybody that would talk about it except my friend who knew him. And the person who directed the whole department at Loyola is now gone. Anybody who knows who was there is dead except for this friend of mine. Would have shown what he was teaching. Yeah, I could not. I found all the years. I found several years missing, and they would have been the years he was there. So he was there. He was at Taos and all those things, Jack. Mm -hmm. He was at Hopkins. Right. Uh, Did he ever talk to you about studying to be a gynecologist? Absolutely not. I would have noticed yeah. that. Yeah, he, he told a number of students that he had done uh, work in that field and was trained. Because, you there know, was a gynecologist involved in this stuff, wasn't there? Didn't yes. people who are making Okay, here's yes. another piece of the puzzle then. Somebody who had seen, and I know who it was, it was um, the person from TIA Craft Retirement Fund. He had seen the keepers, and he is my, but he said that 
he lived near a, I think it was a gynecologist or a psychologist that was involved in this, and he never knew anything about it. Right. Well, there were two. There was one psychologist who was on loan from the archdiocese that would do testing at Keo, and he's still living. The gynecologist is Christian Richter. He was also part of the lawsuit because Maskell took a n- large number of girls there for procedures. And I and think this example. is I think that's the name of this person who um Right. His name is last name is Herb William Urban, U R B A N. Oh my god, he was well known. Still living. I called him and talked to him one day and I made the mistake of giving him my phone number. And now I've tried to talk to him again, and so he has caller ID, and he knows me. In the 1970s, I was not at Loyola at the time. I was not even at Hopkins yet at the time, but I was teaching evening classes at Loyola. And I believe, and I think they called him Bill Urban, and I believe That's he was it. a psychologist there at the time. Well, he he won't talk to me anymore. Um and he worked in different schools, a different number. He told me he was only at Keogh for three hours a week, but we know that it was more than that, and we know that both he and uh, Maskell were tight. And I, I know nothing of this. I didn't know Maskell until 10 years later, at least. We appreciate your insight. The mystery is how Joe could be good, Joe, and I'm sure you've met other people who saw him as good. I'm mm-hmm. sure some of the students saw him as good in Kentucky. Uh, not yeah. many. <laughs> not many. No, he wouldn't have been there. But I mean, yeah. he had a really bad temper. Like if you were waiting in the chapel to go to confession, or if you were sitting in one of the pews laughing with your friends, he would come storming out of the confessional and scream at everybody. And that's, inter- like a- that's interesting like, because that would have been traditional. But when I knew him, he wanted to present himself as a liberal and loving everybody. <laughs> So that's another dichotomy. He was really inappropriate with some of the kids at St. Clement's, not in a sexual way, but just in the way he talked to them. And he would come in the classrooms and uh, embarrass children, and boys would stand up and yell back at him, and he he would just have a tantrum. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a real interesting, like you said, dichotomy. He was probably a weak mama's boy who wanted to present himself as a very strong boy. That might have been the original split. Yeah, what do you make of that being a little priest at the age of four? Isn't that weird? Yeah, but that that's a goody-goody. That's a goody-goody little guy. I'll bet, I would bet when you say that, that that's part of the the two parts of Joe. The the scared part, which comes out as a, as a, a bully. Hmm. None of this did I see.